This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Hi. You look very uh, Melbourne at the moment. You're backlit, you're wearing a black top, your dark hair is slicked to the side. You've got a very distinct part on one side. Have you just been to the hairdresser? Uh, so, okay, Charlie. Firstly, is everyone in Melbourne backlit? That seems weird. Uh, secondly... <laughs> it's just a very... My point being, it's an artistic frame. <laughs> I love the idea that everybody in Melbourne always walks with their back to the sun so that yeah. they can always look backlit in any possible yeah. silhouette situation. That's how groovy Melbourne is. The entire yeah. traffic flow of Melbourne, the way they put the trams together, the way the city flows in the morning to work and from work is all along the way that people can be constantly backlit for artistic photos. Yeah, all the buildings rotate in the middle of the day so the sun gets behind them for the second half of the day. <laughs> I um uh, I do not have a new haircut. I'm going to the hairdresser on Tuesday, but it is my day off here from the morning radio because it's Good Friday mm. morning. So thank you, Jesus. And uh, I had a sleep in for the first time in a very long time, which was much needed because I've been doing shows at night and the radio in the morning and podcasting all day. So I've been pretty buggered. And so... I the reason I was 10 minutes late this morning was I slept in until the last possible moment I thought I could <laughs> to um, get everything ready and it turns out I slept in 10 minutes further than that and um, uh, so my hair is in an AFL style sort of man ponytail at the back All so right. yeah so right. the reason it looks slick back and has a part is that I, I've actually just put a little uh, um, what are the girls called the things they put in their hair what's the little hair tie yeah, like a hair tie. Is there another word yeah. for that? A scrunchie. It's I not a scrunchie. Don't think so. I haven't put a scrunchie. <laughs> <laughs> I think scrunchie demand- was what I was thinking of, but it's not a scrunchie. It's just a hair tie. <laughs> and now I see why you're backlit. You're trying to blind me from the reality of your scrunchie at the back of your little man ponytail. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I'm very much tracksuit, uh, cup of coffee. Um, I had a hot cross bun for breakfast. Oh. Uh, so Can't proper- get hot cross buns in uh, LA. I was on Aussies in LA, the Facebook page, and there is like desperate communications going back and forth on where to get hot cross buns in Los Angeles. Apparently, there's only like four places. Uh, where do hot cross buns come from? Are they just an Australian thing or are they a UK thing that we've imported to Australia? I, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know. Instinctively, I feel, it feels British. It feels like a British. It's like, you know, that heavy, doughy with raisins. That, that feels very British. Yeah, Jesus died. I'm making you a bun. <laughs> it's like grandma food it's like when you go to a grandma's house there's always something with raisins in it i always thought though that your hot cross bun was your international easter snack 
I'd really like to know actually now, Mike, how can you look up the history of the hot cross bun? Because I just assumed it was like the Easter egg. It was one of those things that wherever you went, where they celebrated the sort of, you know, uh, the Christian side of like Easter that you would find a hot cross bun. We've got some information there. A hot cross bun is a spiced sweet bun made with currants or raisins marked with a cross on the top and traditionally eaten on Good Friday in the British Isles, Australia, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, and some parts of the Americas. Okay, yeah, that's those four places in LA. That's what some parts (laughs) of the Americas means. And four places in LA that you can find through the Aussies in LA Facebook group. And one place in Argentina. Well, look how traditional I've been this morning. I, I, you know, I feel very, I had a hot cross bun on. I must admit, the hot cross buns go into the shops now. I mean, this is like an old person's complaint. Oh, the hot cross mm. buns go into the shops so early every year. But really, they're just, if you're not a Christian and you're not eating one on like Good Friday for Christian reasons, they're just a delicious sort of, it's just fancier raisin toast. Like if you're a bit of raisin toast, it's a bit better than raisin toast. They do taste better around Easter though. Like if you, my family, because big Catholic family, we'd buy them in bulk. And so uh, very often you would go to the freezer after Easter and there'd still be like a couple of six packs. <laughs> Crack open a couple of six packs of hot crosses. You know what I'm talking about? That's how we do it down in the fucking... Yeah. Hey, anyone want a coldie? And what I mean by that is a frozen hot cross bun. A cold cross bun. You want a cold cross bun to suck on all summer? Because that was the challenge. Because you'd bust them out of the freezer and then you'd like... You're too impatient to toast them. So you might even carve them up and stick them under the grill. But if you didn't get the timing right, like if you put it in too hot, you'd burn the edges and still have a frozen center. So it was always the challenge at my house. Plus you're fighting off six or seven siblings to get to the griller. Yeah, like that would have been that Lord of the Flies in your house, like around the hot cross buns. And like I get what you mean about there's a delicate cooking process to your hot cross bun to get it absolutely perfect. And mm. so at the moment, I'm still in this house that is, look, I have a couch now. Um, it's gradually getting furnished, but I still don't have a toaster or like a griller that you would do a hot cross bun on. So I prepared my hot cross bun this morning on a, on a frying pan, using yeah, the right. frying pan, cut in half both sides. But what I did was mm. I put a little butter in the frying pan, put like the hot cross bun sort of down on the melted butter and then gave it like a caramelized sort of top. Of the oh, hot nice. cross bun. But nice. then, Charlie, here's yes. the secret. Added extra butter. <laughs> 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 and they were delicious. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm, I'm like you. I don't eat a hot cross bun the rest of the year. But, and I'm not religious. But for whatever reason, Good Friday morning, it still feels comforting and delicious to crack out a hot cross bun. There's nothing sadder on Good Friday than to get a hot cross bun that's been cooked in a sandwich press. And it comes out all like flat and squished and it does just look like, you know, uh, raisin toast. Yeah. You need to have that, that. The secret to a good hot cross bun is you need to keep that fluff in the middle. But it's hard because it's so doughy and thick in there. It's, it's hard to sort of get the toast to fluffiness ratio. You don't want to bite in through the crusty exterior and then get to like a lukewarm sort of doughy interior. Well, this is what I'm saying about the frying pan. I think I might have stumbled accidentally on a great new cooking method. I'm not sure that I would ever cook a hot cross bun the traditional way again because the frying pan is great for being able to, like like a steak, like, you know, you put a steak on a barbecue and you to see the edges of it on the hot barbecue and then it's not cooked through in the middle. You mm-hmm. kind of are doing the same thing, but with your hot cross bun. It has mm-hmm. that consistency where you want the caramelized outside, but you still want like, like the hot doughy inside. <laughs> How often on this podcast do we just talk about food we like eating? 
I know. You couldn't go to a bloody Narcotics Anonymous meeting and have people talk about how much they love drugs quite as much as you and I talk about shitty food. I forget what meeting I was at. That that would be the problem. I'd start an anecdote about something that was meant to be like a shame moment, a rock bottom moment, and and then I'd realise halfway through how much I was actually still enjoying that moment. Tony Martin, I can't remember if it was on Get This or maybe Martin Malloy, but Tony Martin used to do this hilarious impression of Kim Beasley where Kim would start an address talking about something like a press release or whatever, press conference, but then would reference food somehow and then become obsessed with the food he's just referenced and would drift off into a fantasy about wanting to eat the food that he's just referenced. It's kind of like us. Yeah, that is kind of like us. Oh, did you? speaking of food, did you mm. uh, see the bad news? Oh, about back home donut, donut, time. Donut, donut time. Donut time, Charlie. I'm, I'm, I moved to the States and donut time goes bankrupt. <laughs> Coincidence? No, I no think way. not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I did think of you as I've walked past the shutdown donut, donut times all over town. I was like, Charlie's the real big victim. But then I did start to think, well, maybe donut time is a victim of Charlie being out of the country. <laughs> I think, though, Will, uh, what's happened? Donut time, someone had to break through the glass ceiling. And so what donut time has done has it, uh, um, empowered a lot of other donut manufacturers because I have noticed more boutique gourmet donuts available especially in a town like melbourne where there's lots of little cafes and stuff so i think donut time had to kick the doors in and say look people this is what you can do with donuts and whether or not that business model is sustainable they will go down as the pixies you know to the next donut shops nirvana right uh, yeah okay so they're myspace yes you know they set the agenda but just couldn't hang on but everybody exactly. else has their own little version of MySpace on their thing now. Okay, all right. I'm willing to go with this. Hey, here's some more information from Mike Howe. The not cross bun is a variation on the hot cross bun. It uses the same ingredients, but instead of having a cross on top, it has a smiley face in reference to it being not cross in the sense of not angry. Yeah, I, I guess I, we all got that, mate. We all got that, Wikipedia. The Not Cross Bun was first sold commercially uh, in 2014 by Australian bakery Ferguson Player Bakehouses. Never heard of them. Uh, yeah, that, that might be a Victorian thing because you get a lot of ads for Ferguson Player on um, Victorian radio, I've noticed. In response right. to supermarkets, how, yeah, okay. So basically supermarkets started selling hot cross buns as soon as boxing day december 26 <laughs> and people were like this feels a bit early so why can't you roll out some hot cross buns that just don't have the cross but there is something about i don't mind having the cross on top i don't know the cross it doesn't make me feel like i'm being infiltrated by religion to have a cross on top of my bun is that what you think they're doing they're addressing religious sensitivities yeah absolutely that's what they're doing and appealing to atheists. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just sort of read that very innocently and I was like, oh, no, that makes sense. That's People just want to have hot cross buns all year round, but you want to give it a point of difference. Like there's how many variations of toothpaste? Just put a bit of spin on it. But I guess you're right. They're trying not to anger Christians. Yeah, they're not trying to say, hey, think about when... Like essentially what you're saying to Christians when you put hot cross buns in the shops the day after Christmas is, hey, remember yesterday when your saviour was born? He's going to die soon. Don't forget that. <laughs> well, we've had some follow-up mail. This Hey Tofop thing is really taking off. I like it. We might have to rename the podcast Hey Tofop. <laughs> this first one is uh, from James. It's just one word. 
two words, sorry. Well, three words, one hyphenated, <laughs> two hyphenated. This is, this is turned into an auction. I'm, I'm not sure why you <laughs> went with this just one word. <laughs> Alt-right vampires. Oh, okay. What does that mean? I mean, was it in relation to anything? Did he, he well, I don't context know. Of- no, no, just subject line, hey, Tofop, and then in the body copy, alt-right vampires. Alt-right vampires. Is that just a pitch? Is it a hallway pitch? Or was he like emailing us for help because some alt-right vampires had broken into his apartment and that's all he got to type before they grabbed him? Right, some, guy, some guys with fangs and a tiki torch uh, <laughs> burst through the door. <laughs> <laughs> with a copy of Breitbart under one arm <laughs> burst through the door. <laughs> I get the feeling maybe we said it somewhere, but, you know, this is the problem. Uh, for any future people Maybe it's who, a suggestion uh, for a topic of conversation. Like yeah. maybe it's, it's a movie idea. It's his elevator pitch, you know, the idea yeah. that, like, you know, he's met us. We're big shot movie types where it's suddenly yeah. in an elevator and you realize this is my opportunity. I've got to in like, you know, three or four words, get my entire pitch out. And that's his pitch. Alt-right vampires. vampires. I can I see it. that. Yeah. Right. He's taking something that's hot and political. Essentially it's get out, but with vampires. I guess right? what, what, what reads it. So what, how do you define the alt-right? Like what's the identity of the alt-right? What's the uniform of the alt-right? Uh, well, I mean, you go to that idea of, um, I don't know what, I mean, they do look a bit vampire, vampire-y, you know, For instance, a bit of, uh, like if, if, how would you distinguish between neo-Nazi vampires and alt-right vampires? Haircuts. So <laughs> your neo-Nazi uh, vampires, they're definitely your shaved head stylings. Yeah. But, and this is why I think the alt-right are a bit more vampiric in appearance because I'm thinking more like, you know, sort of my sort of haircuts, your old right haircut. Yeah, a bit of that longer yeah. at the front, you know, slicked back you over do. the, right? Yeah, you've got, you've got a bit of a Richard Spencer haircut. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that could definitely be the haircut of a guy who'd been alive for 2,000 years. You know what yes. I mean? It's like good it's, for any time period. Yeah, it's that kind of like classic, and it just has that kind of flamboyant flair that both the alt-right and vampires are famous for. Yeah, there's going to be a think piece in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. Vampires, the new normal. Like, I think this is essentially what, what this guy's getting at. This idea that we could reboot, you know, something like a kind of Sean, Sean of the Dead meets Get Out is what we're yeah. looking at. A social satire, but set in the world of like vampires. I'm just wondering if it's too literal. You know what I mean? Like, because you're sort of, you're doubling up bad guys and bad guys. Like, wouldn't it be more interesting to have, like, you know, it was a, a group that on the surface looked pro- progressive and looking to be helping humanity, but they're the vampires? I mean, sure, but then that would just be alt-right propaganda. So if we're going to pursue one side of... <laughs> and as elite Hollywood liberals, Charlie, you know, that you and I both are, of course, yeah. we understand that we're not allowed to do that. Limousine liberals. Hey, uh, while we're on yeah. this, yeah. speaking of, um, you know, Hollywood and, you know, sides Hollywood. of politics... This is a yeah. question I wanted to ask you about because I know that you have... See, I haven't watched Roseanne the TV series since Roseanne the ah, TV series topic. was on, right? Yeah. So my memories of it are from watching it in real time when it was on Australian TV. But you, as we've spoken about before, uh, you know, a while ago now, but went through a period where you and Jem sat down and watched all of Roseanne. That's right, yes? Yeah, yeah, my, yeah, up until like the last three seasons when it went off the rails, but yeah, most of it. Okay, so the first episode of the reboot of Roseanne was on TV the other night. It did really well, got 
ratings so good that the president uh, called Roseanne and apparently Roseanne and Dan are Trump supporters in the show. Did you see it? Have you heard anything about it? Roseanne update. As our resident Roseanne expert on the show, Roseanne uh, update. I haven't seen it. I only, I only found out about it like literally a couple of days before the show went to air. Um, I don't, I haven't, I haven't seen it so I can't comment, but I think the debate around it is interesting. Um, I just can't imagine if it's the same creative team, if it's suddenly like this, oh, all right, hang on, let me stop. I'm getting confused right now because people are identifying Roseanne the comedian, her politics with this character. And I can understand people going, well, I don't want to watch a show, you know, where I'm hearing all this stuff coming from Roseanne. But my understanding of the way they're trying to structure the show is that Jackie, uh, you know, voted for Hillary or is like votes for the left or whatever. And you've got Roseanne and, and Dan who are Trump supporters. So if that's the premise and you get to see them argue it out, then I don't think that's bad. No, I mean, I haven't seen the show either, but yeah, yeah. if if what's happening is what you've just presented to me, then mm. that's interesting. And yeah. often I think that you can learn more from having those debates and arguments, you know, in that sort of way. Then you, I mean, like hearing from Jackie and her point of view might be a way that some people who only listen to you know, the Trump point of view might only hear those opinions. And if they're being expressed by a character they like in the show, there is some value in that. I guess people get mad. I think I don't think people are mad about Roseanne because mm. I think they all think, you know, Roseanne is like that. So, I mean, I, they are clearly mad about Roseanne, but they don't feel betrayed that Roseanne is suddenly a Trump supporter. Yeah. They feel betrayed that Dan is a Trump supporter. I think that's the general thing. What's it? I didn't. I, I, when the stuff that I read, I thought it was Roseanne pretty much against her entire family, and I thought, right. oh, that that balances the scales a little bit because you've got the star of the show and then every other character. Like you can't argue that you're not getting a balanced opinion when it's one versus five. But even if it is Dan, and this is just reaching into my affection for this show and my affection for that character, as I've talked about on this show before, like. I think Dan is one of the greatest TV dads ever, like dependable, humble, funny, loved his wife, you know, uh, uh, loved his kids, flawed, had that failed motor, the, the seasons where he started, he opened the motorbike shop and that was his dream and you just watch it get taken away because the economic realities of trying to be a small business owner, like amazing. I find it hard to believe that that character with all those years of backstory and how they defined him and suddenly would become this repulsive character who you can identify with or if he is i'll be interested to know how they transformed him if it's suddenly you just watch the episode and it doesn't seem at all like the character he was that doesn't work but if they can logically explain to me how he got to this point i think that's again a good thing right well maybe it's the fact that he died remember how he died <laughs> that's maybe. right <laughs> oh hang on is there any chance that dan is an alt-right vampire maybe yes. we've got <laughs> Dan's come back from the dead after being killed off in the original series. And the reason he's come back with these views is he is now an alt-right vampire. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, you, will, you be, will you watch it? Are you interested to see it? Oh, yeah, I'm interested to have a look regardless of whether I like it or not. Um, yeah. I have a lot of affection for the old show and I have an affection for a working class story and I have a genuine... Uh, I will be amused by, because there are aspects of the discourse of the left, uh, you know, from people whose opinions I probably broadly agree with that I find patronizing and repulsive and, you know, all those things that should be made fun of, you know, in a way like that. So I think I will enjoy some of that as well. But 
I mean, Roseanne's clearly, I mean, Roseanne is Roseanne. She's, she is what she is. And um, I think you've got to know that when you come to the table. But yeah, I'm interested to have a look. I was interested to see that it did so well. But I've also been interested to see that, um, uh, I've, I've been very interested to see that uh, it's become a bit of a selling point to be able to market something as being pro-Trump and it had an inbuilt yeah. audience. And I wonder what the greater effect of that is on the entertainment industry because if people start to go, you know what the entertainment industry is like, if they go, yeah. oh, there's a market there. If, I, if we can yeah. get 20 million people with our show about how good Trump is, then maybe we should have another good sh show about how good Trump is. But Hollywood is also famous for missing the point. Like Hollywood can sort of take a, a see the success of Black Panther and go, you know what people love? Films with Martin Freeman. <laughs> and then like make a dozen more Martin Freeman. So with this Roseanne thing, they might miss the point entirely and go, oh, people love working class mum sitcoms and not actually, not actually uh, get what's going on here. But it's not, this is the thing is, you can't deny that popular media is dominated by a specific point of view tends to be a left-leaning point of view and I think it's got a crazy to you know when popular a popular medium throws up a show like that not to be like all right cool well I guess you know that counts against the 300 other sitcoms which reinforce the values that I believe in I mean is it the worst thing in the world uh well I, no, I don't think so but you know everything's the worst thing in the world now Charlie until yeah. the next day when that next thing is the worst thing in the world it's clear, Roseanne is clearly not the worst thing in the world, Charlie, because one of our cricketers used sandpaper to rough up the ball and now we must kill him until whatever comes along next. That's uh, not having not been in the country and just checking, you know, websites and, and Twitter and stuff to, to be following this whole thing. It is amazing the fury, like the, 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 the fury and the, the noise which we think this thing has blown through. Like in the last four days, like it's been this kind of, like tornado and then i see the apologies and suddenly like there's this like like <sighs> collective breath out where people are like okay you know they seem sorry you know i forgive them and i was like wow that was in is that is that what has to happen is everyone has to lose their minds for a period of time and then you just come out and own up to it and then everything's okay again or is this gonna is this gonna keep going on and on well that speed at which we hunt as a pack is insane now and you know mm. The, I mean, I was, so for people that don't know, international listeners, um, we had a cheating scandal in our national sport cricket. Um, cricket, we have a country that is divided along sporting lines, different fo football codes in different countries. So the one thing states. that's always sort of, oh, sorry, different states. And um, the one thing that's always combined us as a country was our national cricket team, because it's kind of the only big sport that everybody in the country follows. And they say the captain of the Australian cricket team is as a, a position equal to the prime minister in the eyes of the Australian public. And then our captain uh, kind of oversaw uh, some guys attempting to cheat. And so for us, that was a really massive, massive scandal. You know, the highest honour, the, the game of cricket where you're not meant to cheat. And it was this massive thing. And essentially, he's been suspended for a year. The guy who actually came up with the plan has been suspended for a year. And the kid they made do it has been suspended for nine months. But the whole thing was, he just had some sandpaper down his pants and he kind of roughed up the ball a bit. In the grand scheme of like, you know, the Russians cheating at the Olympics or, you know, Lance Armstrong cheating at the Tour de France or anything like that, it's nothing compared to those things. But the, our country went into... Like, I get it. I was completely disappointed by what they did and I think it's against 
the spirit of how Australia thinks our cricket team should play. And I think they probably deserve what they've got. But then to see the massive pylon of everybody, there were people calling for them to never play cricket again, you know, and they've lost all their sponsorships. They'll never be able to get those sponsorships. Like this is millions and millions of dollars, you know, public shame, public embarrassment for making a essentially in the moment mistake of pushing the rules a little bit further than everybody else pushes the rules. And we went into like the, the press conference from Steve Smith last night was of a shattered man. He was in mm. tears. He had disappointed his family and the country and he will be psychologically scarred for that, for that one moment, that one mistake for the rest of his life. Now to his great credit, I think he kind of gets that and he, you know, sort of pledged to rebuild people's trust. And I hope people give him the opportunity to do that because he made a f big fucking mistake, but he didn't make a mistake so bad that there should be no chance of redeeming yourself and making it better, you know, and all that's happened in a week and it has been the most full ferocious. on ferocious week I have ever, I mean, I've just like, you know, we're a country that this point's been made a lot, obviously, but we're a country that locks up refugee children on fucking, you know, prison islands. And yet we fucking were essentially calling for a guy who pushed the rules a little bit too far to be stoned in the fucking street. It's been <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I haven't really, uh, I haven't really followed cricket closely at all. Probably since Michael, C Michael Clark debuted. Was that a long time ago? <laughs> Yeah, that was a long time ago. It was so long ago that he hasn't played for ages and he uh, offered to come back and captain the team. I was like, not now, Michael. Not time for you to make a comeback. But you're right. It, it's that kind of group disappointment. When I was a kid growing up, the team I barracked for in football was terrible and the Australian cricket team was also terrible. So I had no respite in my sporting pursuits. But then in the 90s, the Australian team got really good. And do you remember there was a period of time there where like the coverage of Australian cricket was like, this is too easy. Uh, we're getting bored. <laughs> like where are the West right. Indies again? Where are the enemies? Yeah. And it turns out when everyone else got good again, we thought we had to cheat. So they were the good old days when we were just winning <laughs> easily without having to cheat. <laughs> and the problem with cricket is everybody else is cheating. So it doesn't feel like cheating. So I think they were very shocked when suddenly everyone in Australia was like, nah, uh, we don't care that everybody else is doing it. We like that we weren't doing it and you guys did it. And now you must pay in blood for doing something <laughs> that somebody else is doing. Here's your life ruined forever. Good luck but to you, sir. Is there any discussion around, like, is it like cycling where, you know, the kind of, the common wisdom is that it's happening all the time everywhere. You just can't be stupid enough to get caught. Is that the idea with cricket? Like, is this happening yeah, all absolutely. the time at all levels? Right. Yeah, it's happening all the time at all levels. It happens all the time with other teams. In fact, the captain of the South African team has twice been disciplined for ball tampering and he's <laughs> captain of the South African team. Uh, it's happened to pretty much every country. The English admitted they used to use particular lollies in their mouth where they'd use the saliva to you know, kind of tamper with the ball, make it different. Um, so it's been happening. You're allowed to throw the ball in and let it hit the ground so it gets roughed up. You see bowlers, you know, kind of rub it on their zipper. Like the South African captain has zippers in his pockets of his pants and he they'll rub it on their zipper. So this was that thing of going, uh, the, the analogy that was used by one of the football coaches this week, I think it might've been Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, 
you know, use the boiling the frog analogy, uh, mm. which is, you know, like that if you put a frog in hot water, it'll jump straight out. But if you put a frog in cold water and you gradually heat it up, the frog doesn't notice that it's boiling to death. And they think, you know, it's a bit like that with cricket. You know, this was only, this wasn't like they went from zero to jumping way over the line. They just went a tiny little step further than what everybody mm. else had been doing. And then went, oh, that's a massive drop off that cliff, isn't it? So it's, by the way, I did learn this week also that that boiling frog thing isn't true. They've scientifically <laughs> experimented to find out it's, it's not true, which to me is a dangerous experiment to get frog volunteers for in the first place. <laughs> Uh, so we had a letter last week <clears throat> about your past. Before we get to that, uh, yeah. it seems to have triggered uh, in another one of our listeners, Gregory H, sent in an email asking you to finish a story, whatever happened to Wayne Wong from Will's school? I'd love to hear from him about the famous, my name is Wayne Wong rap. What was the motivation behind it? Who wrote it? Did the school counselor suggest it? So many questions. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of questions and... Uh... I do believe that Wayne Wong and I are Facebook friends. So there is a friend of mine on Facebook whose name is Wayne Wong. And he, and now again, this is where I get into a dangerous area. He <laughs> Memories? Is, no, well, he is, of, I mean, his name's Wayne Wong. So right. for me to say that he's of Asian appearance probably isn't the biggest shock to anybody <laughs> out there going around. So it fits the bill that this Wayne Wong would is most likely the same Wayne Wong that I went to high school with. But I must admit that I have never like messaged him and he's never messaged me with like, hey, yeah, remember high school. So there is well, a chance that just, I am. You just get a voicemail message and it's. <laughs> My name is Wayne Wong and I'm still in Hong Kong. And I hear Will, now you're on the bong. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Please give us your thoughts on the reboot of Kong. <laughs> so do you know any more information about why he decided to do it? It was just it was a bolt, of the, bolt out of the blue. Describing it, just remind people again what happened. Well, from my memory, and as I say always on this show, the further away I get from these events and the more that I retell them, my memory is probably the worst possible memory of these events. I am not an impartial observer. I am a reframer of history by profession. Uh, but from memory, it was year seven or year eight and Wayne Wong uh, was a new kid at our school and possibly the first Asian kid who'd ever yeah, sort of been in our peer group in our school. And the first couple of days, again, from my memory, uh, no one really talked to him because we did not believe that he could speak English, which was a naive view of young people from the country who knew no better. And then in front of one of the classes, the teacher uh, asked him up in front of everyone to just do a bit of a, like a, yeah, say hello to everyone and tell them a bit of your story. And he did a rap, which I remember going, my name is Wayne Wong and I come from Hong Kong. And if you stick around, you can hear my song. And etc. Oh, it never gets old. <laughs> oh. You never spoke of it again? Like you never got to the bottom of like, is this a pre-prepared thing? Has he done this at other schools? 
Well, here's the thing, Charlie. If I knew that I would constantly tell that story for the next 20 years of my life, I would have done some more investigation. I would have dug a little deeper. But at the time, you just don't realize what your childhood anecdotes are going to be. I would have liked to talk to Ramesh Harry Chandran about the fact that every year at the fitness test, he sprinted the first lap in first place and then every year he had to get taken to hospital in an ambulance because he had an asthma attack. I'd love to know what his thoughts were, like particularly the second time. Like the first time, you might not see it coming, but the second time it happens, you've got to. I mean, I'd love to know what Ramesh was thinking. I, I feel like we've. If that could be a, a bonus episode, as we contact some of these people from your past and we get the real story, the real stories. Oh, that'd be so disappointing. I would hate to like find out from people how much I've just kind of made up or like changed their history. Like, you know, like it's fine for me to kind of, you know, mythologize and change my own history. We all do that. <clears throat> we all do that in our own ways, but obviously I do it professionally. And, um, <laughs> well, it's been funny doing this show, you know, about being arrested because mm. it's really clearly gone from being, you know, my, my story, you know, so many of things that I thought were important to being a show that is like now, the more you tell the show, the more the show version of the story is becoming the story and I'm starting to, you know, kind of nah. forget what really exactly, you know, happened or the order it happened or I've cut, you know, sometimes you flip some things to make the show work. So things are now happening, not necessarily in the exact same order as they happened. And so suddenly in my head, I'm going, well, now it feels like it did happen in that, that exact same order. So that would be almost my worst nightmare. You know, when they say your life flashes before your eyes, I wonder which version I'll get. Because if I get the reality version as opposed to the version that I remember because I've reframed it as my version, I think I'll be solely disappointed. <laughs> I wonder if there was like a Black Mirror style technology. I'm sure, I can't remember which specific Black Mirror episode, but it feels like it would be one where they can record your thoughts or your memories. They can, you know, they can download your memories and, and look at them like the video files. I wonder if that technology was possible. Just hearing about, you know, the last couple of weeks you've talked about reframing your own memories. Like, I wonder if that technology was available and they asked you to think about, you know, the arrest or whatever, if your memory would line up to what actually happened or the way you have trained your brain into thinking the story happened. Because you're a writer, you know, for a job and so you're, you're restructuring and placing items in a way that logically makes sense. And I imagine that's how memory works as well is, you know, you have little bits of key information or you know, things that stimulated your senses and you take those bits of information and then you build a narrative around it. So I wonder if thoughts like memories stay pure or if they get diluted with more time that passes and the more re-examination and reframing that you do. Well, it's one of those things where, like, well, this letter that we got last week is a really good example, I think, because the amount of times I've told the story about um, Max and Freddie and Shep and I going to Melbourne for you know, to be an over-the-top our theatre sports group and I remember the chant of the group and what we were wearing and all these sort of things, you know, the game that we fucked up on. I've told that story and, you know, I've told it because when I first played the Athenaeum as an adult doing stand-up, you know, I told the story of this sort of thing. In my memory, that's something that, like, you know, has informed the person I am. Yet I had absolutely no memory of this next year and this entire story, which is also mm. about theatre sports. And now that I've been told it, reminded it by somebody else, I know that I won't tell this story to other people now i will pass yeah, yeah. it on you know i've already started telling the story of you know this thing to other people so then it becomes part of my memory again even though it's actually not my memory of this my memory yeah. of this 
isn't my memory. It's the memory yeah. of the person who wrote into us. It's their memory, but now I'm reframing it and putting it back into my memory as if it's my own actual memory of it. But the advantage of him telling you the memory is he gives you all the pieces that you have reference points for. So when he describes the hall or, you know, what you're wearing or, you know, who the judge was or whatever, you are around that. So you can piece those bits together and then, you know, your imagination fills in the rest and suddenly you have a complete memory. Right. And yet I have no memory of it still, if I'm being completely honest <laughs> yeah. with you. Like I've pasted together a memory because it has enough familiar things that I can recreate it, but I still don't have a legitimate memory of that night. I honestly can't remember it. I can't remember what game we would have played. I, I've been racking my brain all week to remember who would have been in the team. Like I literally can't remember who else was in the team with us. Like it's, I have no memory of this thing. And yet now because of this letter, I kind of do have a memory of it again. It's weird. Well, Aaron Allen has sent a follow-up. AA, our favorite superhero. Hey guys, enjoyed the episode. Glad to be able to send in some content that you're able to use. So just to follow up, uh, Will was wanting to know about the other members of his team. So I've dug out an old scrapbook <laughs> containing my teenage performing stuff. Do you have a scrapbook of teenage performing stuff? No, but... No. Uh, well, here's the thing, though. I think that when I first started doing comedy, like, you know, mum or myself or someone used to collect, you know, articles and bits and pieces. But there's a kind of certain weight with that sort of stuff where you're like, look, there's been enough stuff that it's not worth collecting any mm. of it. It's like photos now. You know, you've got yeah. a thousand photos in your phone, but none on your walls. And it's a bit like that when it comes to that sort of stuff. We're going, it was a novelty to like get something out of the newspaper. But, you know, once you've been arrested and you've been on like, you know, a hundred newspaper sites, <laughs> the novelty goes away. I think somewhere floating around is a, is a flyer for me in um, Anne of Green Gables at Ripon Lee Gardens doing like an outdoor play one summer. A young Charlie Claw, 19-year-old Charlie Clawson dressed like Gilbert Blythe wearing like knickerbockers and a cloth cap. Polish your boots, Gov! Even though he's Canadian. <laughs> Charlie, you've completely got this character wrong. Oh, it's a real piece, super! <laughs> no, no, again. <laughs> he's Canadian. All right, Gov! Uh, okay. So he dug out his teenage performing stuff and found the program for the night. See attached photo. So I've uploaded the photo and it's oh, yes. a photo listing the teams. And it confirms that the other guys were Peter Shepard, commonly known as Shep, and Andrew Muirhead. Fuck. So that rings bells, right? Wow. <laughs> oh, fuck. Wow. <laughs> Wow. I mean, it, wow. So it, fuck. <laughs> Head spin. Oh, like seriously, you know how we were just talking about, you know, reframing memory and how, you know, it really is that sort of thing of so much of your identity and so much of your memory, I think, is just which bits of what happens in your life you choose to define yourself by, right? Mm. Um, and, and it's probably really current to what's happening in the cricket because unfortunately at the moment these guys are being defined by their mistake instead of their achievements and their accomplishments. And 
And, you know, often our brains can work in a way that maybe we focus on the negative things in life um, rather than, you know, the positives or we think that other people have more than we have or... And I think sometimes it's just what we choose to frame our identity and who we are based on. I think it's also the reason that people can often, you know, think that they are be good people and also do bad things, you know. Like, I mean, you just don't look at yourself as being that sort of person. And then sometimes you get a rude reminder. This has kind of blown my mind a little bit, i got to be honest with you, because for those who don't know why I'm so uh, taken back by this, is that Andrew Muirhead uh, is a person that I've actually spoken about on the other version of this podcast, Fofop. Uh, Dave Anthony and I had a conversation one night about uh, a guy I went to school with called Andrew Muirhead, um, who later went on to be a comedian and uh, later went on to um, be arrested and spend some time in prison for possessing child pornography. And uh, it is a um, one of the kind of saddest things that I've ever seen in my life because I knew Andy at high school, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, had known him a little bit as a comedian, not, not very well, but a little bit. And then, um, obviously, you know, he got involved in something that was, uh, you know, punishable by, you know, prison time and ostracization from society, basically. Um, so, uh, I had completely forgotten that he was in this theater sports team. Like, wow. and you know, even in all the times, cause it's not like, this is the thing that blows my mind a bit about this is. If I had never spoken about Andy Muirhead from that time on, if I'd never had an awareness of Andy from that time on, then it would be it would make sense to me that I wouldn't remember. Yeah, right. But I've spoken about him so many times since then, and I've thought about him so many times since then, in good times and then in very bad times, that it. it it, it blows my mind that this was not part of that story. You know, I played high school theatre sports with him. You know, that that, yeah. that seems like the sort of thing you would remember when you were talking about the fact that you... Fuck, this is... Wow. Wow. Did you... But I'm, I'm pretty sure you mentioned Shep last week. Yeah. So you knew Shep. Well, Shep was my best mate at high school and we're still friends right. and we and he was also in both of those teams. Which, by the way, we should just let people know... Come, Couple listed in this photo are a couple of the other names of the team. So, Kurnai College had the Bolts. Uh, Aaron Allen's team from Sale Catholic College were the Screaming Time Lords, which, good, that's on brand for Tofop. And then Sale High School are the Exploding Chooks, which is the most theatre sports team name you could have, the Exploding Chooks. It's wacky, right? I'm going to say, hang on, I'm, I'm not getting this list up here, but... It- it feels like one of those things where you're like, that's, uh, here we go. All right. So do I recognize any of these names? That's what I was going to try to see if I did. No, that hasn't got the whole thing here. But um, yeah, the exploding well, chooks is definitely. <laughs> <laughs> William Anderson too. Uh, yeah. Peter Shepard, William Anderson and Andrew Muirhead. Very, very, very formal down at Theatre Sports HQ. Yeah, well, you're called monolithic epi- epic. Epi- I can't even say it. Epicureanism. Monolithic epicureanism, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, wow. Aaron uh, follows up with this. Coincidentally, in the late 90s, I ended up working at the Melbourne Theatre Company for a few years when Siobhan Chuk was the casting director. And I had forgotten this bit too, because I actually auditioned for the Melbourne Theatre Company years ago, like, 
might be 12 or 15 years ago. And I remember going into the audition and she was there. And that, like, I hadn't seen her since the traumatic events of uh, year 10. <laughs> and as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, no. And I remember it, like, really throwing me because I, I had to do a monologue from the club or something. And I was really, really thrown because all I could see was her judging you me. You were like, hello, governor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real pea super. No, it's the club, Charlie. It's, it's contemporary Australia. I can't recall if I ever mentioned our earlier encounters through high school, but I'm still good friends with her to this day. <laughs> and I run into her at some stage every year. I'm going to see how long for, or if she'll ever hear this, and then she'll join the dots and message me. And I assume never talk to you again. Although we really, we said all the bad stuff about Siobhan Chu, not you. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And look, you know, we also did acknowledge that, um, you know, it's it's worked out fine for us. So we don't have any, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, long-term okay. hatred against Siobhan Duke. Well, it's funny you should say that because the last bit of mail I want to read is a really great effort. This is from Blair Ginby or Ginby? Ginby, G-I-N-B-E-Y. Would you say Ginby or Ginby? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Hey, lads. One of those two. <laughs> hey, lads. Firstly, Will, just saw Will Eagle. Great show. So good to finally hear the story that you are reframing in your mind with every passing day. Exactly. Stupidly, I'm always surprised at how well you put a show together. <laughs> well, not that stupidly if you listen to this. This does give you a misleading uh, impression of my capabilities as someone who can construct a story that has a beginning, a middle and an end. However, this is your cleverest show yet. Anyway, scratching your back was not the purpose of this email. I think you. Touched I appreciate on the you took the time to do it, though, mate. <laughs> I think you touched on the possibility of Siobhan Chuk being sent back in time to make sure you end up on this path. But I have a very Tofop theory, which is a further development. I want to run this past you. All right, so settle in. And uh, Blair, thank you for doing this on such big font, like. Because all these other emails, I'm realizing I'm getting older because when I print off an email to read, it's like that font is way too small. But this is like size 15 font. <laughs> I can actually read yep. it. I like it. <clears throat> so this is the theory. Siobhan Tuke is an alias of one of your current teabaggers. Imagine said teabagger has an interest in time travel and naturally has an interest in TOEFOP. Over the next five years or so, she develops the ability to travel through time and decides to start hitting the time travel bucket list, you know, i.e. go back and kill Hitler before he gets to power. After one of her trips through time, she gets back to the present day. The unthinkable has happened. Tofop doesn't or hasn't ever existed. What a world that would be like. Oh my God. How would the world go on? It truly would be the greatest of all historical crimes. Faced with the impossible choice between the worst events in history or Tofop not, not existing, Miss Chuk decides that she can't undo the good she has done through history and will instead go back through the new timeline to find out where it differs from what she knew of all the past episodes of Tofop. So what we're going to get here is a little trip down memory lane. Love it. I love it. It's great, right? Very good writer. She continues her travels. Will, spelt with two L's, I'll let you off this time. <clears throat> Will still grows up on a farm and leaves for the city. Charlie, still one of many kids, 
uh, leading a not so bad life, even though he thinks it was. (laughs) (laughs) You're just walking around singing cheer up Charlie to yourself and everyone's like, your life is great. What are you talking about, Lord Fauntleroy? However, eventually realizing that you never met. So she goes back to Jesus, you know, as kids and realizes that we, we've never met. Through many other trips back through time, the Siobhan, the Siobhan, sorry, I just added that myself. It doesn't say that. Through many other trips back through time, Siobhan realizes, just put Siobhan in inverted commas because it, Siobhan, remember, is a time traveler from the present. Siobhan realizes these different careers are the reason you never met and therefore tries to deduce why you changed careers. Wow. Turns out, Will, now with one L, Oh, no, this is what I love is I was Will with two L's when I was at high school. So it was age appropriate. He's actually got the uh, detail right. And exactly he's dropped right. the L now that I've got. Very good. Very good. Very good. Hats off. Wow. <laughs> Even I was too dumb to pick that. I apologize. My earlier slam. Turns out Will went to uni and graduated as a journalist. No change there. However, <laughs> his passion lied in improv comedy. And he was captain of the state championship winning team, Monolithic Epicureanism. Unfortunately, when this didn't lead to an income, <laughs> Will had no choice but to fall back on journalism, having, having, never having the opportunity to focus on stand-up. So that's your path in this new timeline. Okay. Charlie directed a high school play, beating out the other plays of guys doing cover songs, which was a great success and led to him directing film after film until he became a household name. By not losing the high school competition, he never became an actor and never met Will. Also, even if you did meet, Charlie didn't have the time to start a podcast like he did as an unemployed actor. <laughs> oh, getting some licks in, bloody hell. And I'd be a journalist, so the sort of podcast that I would try to start would be terrible. <laughs> and so the teabagger goes back once more. To the 15th of August, 1985. It's a little wink to Back to the Future. And establishes herself as Siobhan Tuke, yeah. an up-and-coming comedian who seems to have a very quick, who seems to have very quick thinking topical material. It's a perk of being a time traveller. Right. Why is that a perk of being a time traveller? Well, because, she because can, you, you can go to the future, spend some time writing you know, snappy material, and then go back to the day when it's actually happening and go, this guy's got a really good tight six minutes on Steve Smith cheating in the cricket. It's amazing how quickly he's put that together. You've been away for six weeks with some of the finest writers in history. <laughs> she builds up a reputation as a comedian and manages to score a role on the comedy company, ensuring she never has an iconic role to avoid being noticed. Right. Which is what we mentioned Having done... Yep. <laughs> Having done this, she's able to insert herself as a celebrity judge in both of your competitions, sabotaging the results, leading you to the careers we all know and you have. Oh, no, hang on. There's no comma there. Leading to all the careers we all know you have. <laughs> and then, of course, you meet and eventually start TOEFOP. Can I so, say yeah. this? Yeah. Can I say this about the fact that there is an element of this that is just so perfect? Because if Siobhan had had a regular character... I don't think either of our high schools would have been able to afford her to be a judge yeah. at our high school competitions. So she was literally at the exact amount of celebrity that was necessary to affect our lives. I think it's yeah. very, 
on brand for us that the celebrity that affected both of our lives was someone who couldn't get a regular character on the comedy <laughs> company. <laughs> so Blair sums up. So yeah, Siobhan isn't real. She's a time traveler. And if you look through the Tea Room fan page, I can bet there'll be a Siobhan Chuk lookalike in there for sure. Mm. Anyhow, thanks for the pod, Blair. Well done, Blair. It's a great theory. I like it. I, I, th- I, th- I think that is a... It, it kind of makes more sense than actually what really happened. <laughs> it's actually like a Bill and Ted's, really, isn't it? If you consider Tofop to be the Wild Stallions. Right, yeah. And she's Rufus. She's our Rufus. Hey, uh, Michael, can you look up what the plot synopsis, or at least what they're pitching for Bill and Ted's 3 is? Because I read an article about a month ago that they have everyone in place, like Keanu's back, Alex Winter's back, they've got the original writers back. Hang they on. Don't have, uh... they, managed, they managed to clear up Alex Winter's <laughs> busy schedule to get him involved? Alex Winter said yes? I mean, that must have been an amazing... Tough deal to get Alex Winter back on board for this movie, I imagine. <laughs> I think Alex Winter has been busy, Will. I think you're underplaying. I, I believe he's a he's a, a documentarian these days. He makes commercials oh, yeah. and documentaries. Right, yeah, his dream. What he always wanted to do. Um, yeah, there's a plot for it, uh, a, a synopsis out, but they, apparently they can't get it made which I just think is insane in this era of reboots and stuff. And Keanu Reeves is still, like John Wick's sort of put him back in the frame a little bit, hasn't it? Keanu's not yesterday's news. No, Keanu is definitely not yesterday's news. Those John Wick movies have been very successful for him. Um, He's he's still a box office draw card. We've got a plot here. So a script written by franchise creators Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, Reeves said, would feature Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan having been crushed by the responsibility of having to write the greatest song ever. Uh, and uh, uh, to, have, to write the greatest song ever written and to change the world. They haven't done it yet. Their lack of production would have serious repercussions, he explained. So everyone is kind of like, where is the song? The guys have just drifted off into esoterica and lost their rock. Okay. We go on this expedition into the future to find out if we wrote this song. And one future us refuses to tell us and another future us blamed us for their lives because we didn't write the song. So they're living this terrible life. In one version, we're in jail. In another, we're at some kind of highway motel and they hate us. <laughs> I like the sound of this. It sounds super depressing. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm into it. I'm into it well, as an idea. My question was going to be, how could they not get this film made when all these elements are in place? But then you read that synopsis and I'm like, what studio is greenlighting Bill and Ted directed by Lars von Trier? <laughs> Yeah, Bill and Ted's really depressing adventure. <laughs> yeah, into, into a colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be great, though. I would like to see... I think if you do... I'm a, a fan of these reboots. As I've said on the show before, if you take the Fury Road model, where you take it and you spin everything around and you just redo it, you don't, try, you don't just play the greatest hits. You actually seriously consider what would that, where would that character be now and what's the world? And then that makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously George Carlin has passed away, so no Rufus, uh, no. which is sad. What would you do with the Rufus character? Do you reboot a Rufus? Do you yeah. like, yeah, get another comedian? Do you flip it and have a female Rufus? Was it what uh, Rufus was female at one stage in one of them? Right? Was he was in? No, he was wearing a, a, a disguise. He was Pam Greer. He was wearing Pam Greer in Bogus Adventure. 
Right. A pound <laughs> grass suit. Um, well, there you go. That's pretty exciting. Um, I would like to. I would like to see that movie. I would be definitely into it. I'd like to see another John Wick movie. I would like to see anything with Keanu in it. I'm just a. I'm a Keanu unreserved Keanu Reeves fan. I, I just like watching him in movies. Me too, but why? Like, I don't know. I can't it? explain it. I can't explain it either. I was, I was thinking about this because you've got a big Point Break poster in your kitchen here, and I often look at it in the morning. And it's like, there's something about him. Like, it's certainly not talent. No. I mean, although he has some. Some. But, the, it's, but just, not, it's just not heaps. It's just, it's just good to have in a film, isn't it? It's comforting. Just, just happy to have him there. Yeah. I mean, and he makes a lot of films too. I think he's just happy to be there as well. Right. I, I, I'm just a real big fan of his. I just think, I don't know why. I can't, I can't rationally explain it. But I just enjoy having him in a film. Like, you know, I just... Like, those John Wick movies, they're, mm. like, essentially video games. And I have no interest in video games. But I've, I have watched both of them over and over. I just think they're... And I'm not even into gun violence and stuff. And essentially, those movies are all, like, they killed his dog. Now I'm going to kill other people for three hours. And yeah. they're great because it's Keanu doing it. What do you think of the message of a film? And this is a spoiler alert. Not just this film, but I've seen this trope in a, in, a, in a few films where someone gets their dog killed. You know, maybe it's the inciting incident or whatever, or maybe it happens halfway through the film. And then the film ends with them getting a puppy or a new dog. And it's like, hey, you know, it's fine. I, I don't know about that. I think I'd still be upset about my first dog dying. And now you've given me a fucking puppy to look after and I'm still trying to grieve over my old one. I'm not ready to get this new puppy. Well, yeah, but that's because you haven't killed 300 people in the meantime. <laughs> You're right, you've got the rage out of your system. Yeah, it accelerates the grieving process, Charlie. You know, there's like the seven stages of grief or whatever. Well, Keanu dealt with those stages of grief. Like you're thinking of it as an ordinary person who's like lost your dog uh, and then had to like, then there's another puppy and you're like, I'm still thinking about the dog. But Keanu's thinking about the 300 people he just murdered in an hour. Mike Hal has just uploaded, is this a virus, Mike Hal? You've just uploaded? If I click on this, what's going to happen? Do you, do you this is when it finally little... happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. This Don't click I, on it. This is when AI, AI takes over. This is the Facebook moment. This is Cambridge Analytica all over again. Michael has put a very mysterious looking uh, file into our download window asking us to click on it. But I don't know, man. It looks suspicious. Yeah. It's definitely a virus. <laughs> oh, it's uh, a to... gif of uh, Keanu giving up his seat on a bus. Well, now. Yeah, I do that's what a robot. Don't click on it. That's what a robot would say. It's too late. I'm not doing late. it, Michael. I'm willing to take the risk. What I've been promised sounds so good that... Oh, hang on. Here we go. Um, Keanu. Yep. What are you doing there, Keanu? Uh, there we go. Oh, yeah. Look at that, Keanu. What a great <laughs> <man> you are. <laughs> I've still refused to click on mine. I think it's a virus. I think if we both click on it at the same time, this is what will kickstart the apocalypse. All right, now I'm going to click on mine. Okay, except I want to see what you guys are looking at. <laughs> What's so good? <laughs> What's so good? Uh, okay. It's a woman. And then, oh, yeah. Gets, yeah, see, there she is. Oh, yeah. And then Keanu gets up. Gives up his seat. Gives, and then just uh, not only that, but then you just see him holding onto a pole like it's a stripper pole. So what a great gift. Well worth whatever <laughs> virus I just imported into this podcast. Uh, All right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, 
Yeah, you've got a show on tonight. Are there still tickets available? Yeah, yeah. If oh shit! This, but by the time this show, no, no, yeah, they sorry. won't hear this by then, probably. But this for a second there, are, I thought we're a real like radio show. <laughs> yeah. If you're hearing this on Good Friday, if you're a time traveler, if you're Siobhan Chuk, there are yeah. tickets available to opening night on Good Friday. Uh, Easter is a great weekend to come and see shows. I will say to people, people will be hearing this over Easter, hopefully, and. Uh, uh, it's a great time to see shows at the Comedy Festival. It's the first weekend, um, but obviously, you know, people go away for Easter, so the city's a little bit more quiet, and it's um, a good opportunity to get in and see some shows if you are in town in Melbourne. But I'm at the Comedy Festival for four weeks, so, you know, come to any of those shows. Um, I am very happy with the show, and, and people have been enjoying it. And then uh, after that, uh, I am in Perth and Canberra and Sydney, and they are all on sale and all over 50% sold out already. Um, so I, if you want to come and see shows in those places as well, I would get tickets uh, quickly. Uh, uh, that's very good. Thank you for buying tickets. It helps. Tofop is not just this podcast. Tofop is a, uh, what are we? Like a podcast factory? <laughs> we have other podcasts <laughs> yes, is what I'm trying to say. We're a podcast factory. <laughs> CNC's podcast factory. Going <laughs> 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 to make you listen. Everybody pod now. <laughs> we have our own theme song. Uh, you can go to tofop.com to check out this podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, which is our AFL podcast, which is uh, back in for 2018. We just put up the second episode the other day. Willosophy is back with Sam Lane. Yeah, Sam Lane, Samantha Lane, a footy journalist, but she's a wonderful interview, even if you're not interested in football. And then I think the Rod Quantock episode, who Rod Quantock is uh, essentially Australia's first ever stand-up comedian. He's been doing stand-up comedy now for 50 years. Uh, he's doing the festival. He's a real idol of mine. And I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Rod and talking about how humanity is completely fucked and the planet is fucked and we're all going to die. And it's fun <laughs> right. and interesting. And um, just, it was a real honor. And so I think that one might even come out. Well, it went up today. So by the time you're hearing this, it will already be up. So you can listen to that as well. And yeah, we have a Patreon page, which is um, uh, patreon.com slash tofop. And That's if right. you contribute there, it doesn't just support this podcast. It supports all the podcasts in, in our podcast factory. Podcast factory. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page for Tofop. You can go to the Tea Room where other, face, uh, other Tofop listeners uh, chat about the shows. Like I said, I come in quietly. I stand in the corner. I watch you. I hear what you have to say, but I don't participate. So just remember, while you're posting something about us, I may be watching. You're also cucking Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. It's not optional. You have to do it. (laughs) We used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.